All right. Well, good morning. Uh, we have come now to week three in our Seven Deadly Sins series, where we're looking at the attitudes that keep us from the kind of life that God intends for us. Our theme verse for this whole series is Hebrews 12.1, and I'm going to ask you guys to do something that I don't normally ask. I'm going to ask us to say this all out loud together, because uh, by the end of this series, I'm hoping that we will have this verse memorized, we'll be able to say it without even looking at it. So, follow my lead here. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Nicely done. Good job. Uh, In the race of life, sin entangles us. If you think of uh, life like a race, a race with God, that he has marked out for us. Sin is like a big net or a spider's web that catches us and keeps us from running that race and living the life that God intends for us. And during this series, we're, in, we're identifying some of the primary attitudes that lead to all the kinds of sin uh, that messes us up. Two weeks ago, we looked at the sin of envy. Last week, we looked at uh, wrath or anger. And this week, we're looking at the sin of sloth. Sloth. Uh, what is sloth? <laughs> well, of all the seven deadly sins, I think sloth is the one that's most misunderstood. If I say sloth, probably the first thing you think of is laziness, right? Uh, cutting corners at work, watching TV all day, napping for hours on end. And that's not entirely wrong. Those are all uh, consequences of sloth, possible consequences of sloth. But sloth is something even more fundamental than that. Sloth is a lack of care about things that matter. A lack of care about things that matter. So sloth is not being curious when we should be curious. Uh, It's not being filled with awe when we should be filled with awe. It's not being angry when we should be angry. It's not being sad when we should be sad. A really bad case of sloth would stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon for the first time and say, what's for dinner? (laughs) If the sin of sloth had a rallying cry, it would be, whatever. But of course, it's not the kind of sin to have a rallying cry because sloth doesn't rally. Right? Sloth doesn't advocate for a cause. Sloth doesn't take a stand, at least not for anything that matters. The early Christian monks who um, actually played a part in putting together the list of the seven deadly sins, uh, they used to say that around noon every day, they would just feel this complete lack of interest take over. Uh, this lack of interest in their work and in their prayers, and they would find themselves just daydreaming about what another kind of life might look like. Um, They would find themselves just just wanting to crawl into bed and sleep the whole afternoon away, and they called this this feeling the noonday demon. It was so common that they had this name for it. 
Uh, some of us are probably laughing because we're like, oh, I know about that noonday demon, right? And what they were experiencing was the impulse to sloth. The impulse that is like, I might have had motivation this morning, but now I really don't care. Well, how do we know if we have a problem with sloth? Well, I have a list for us of a couple, couple indicators. First, first sign that we have a problem with sloth is if we have little to no interest in God. Little to no interest in God. Remember, I said just a little while ago that sloth is not feeling awe when we should feel awe. It's not feeling curious when we should feel curious. There's nothing that should provoke our curiosity and awe more than the subject of God, right? The ultimate ground of all being, the source from which all life comes. Nothing should get us more excited and interested than that. But when we're slothful, the topic of God is just like, meh, whatever. Philippians 3.19 describes people who are enemies of Christ. And this is the way it describes them. Uh, Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. And the phrase that I want us to notice there is their God is their stomach. Their God is their stomach. What that is saying is that the thing these people care most about, the ultimate in their lives, is just satisfying whatever, whatever physical appetite they have in that moment. So if somebody is hungry, somebody who is like this, the only thing that matters to them is just satisfying that hunger. If someone has a desire for sex, the only thing that matters in that moment is just satisfying that desire for sex. If they have a desire for revenge, the only thing that matters in that moment is just satisfying that desire for revenge. That is their God, okay? There's there's no higher set of principles or values that those desires are submitted to. It's just whatever my stomach says, whatever my appetite says, that's what I care about. And that's what a lifestyle of sloth looks like. Uh, You might say that sloth is the impulse we have to make our stomach our God. And when that's what we care about primarily, when that's our supreme concern, the ultimate thing, we don't have much interest in God or what God wants for us. We're just fixated on those basic appetites. This uh, reminds me of a story from my time in campus ministry. When I worked with crew, we used to, uh, every semester, we would set up these tables in the dining halls. And what we were doing was we were trying to gauge spiritual interest on campus by having people fill out surveys where they had an opportunity to say whether they were interested in connecting with our group or whether they were interested in knowing God personally. And, but you can't just set up a table and say fill out a survey, right? Nobody's going to come and do it. So you need some draw, some way to get people to come over. And so we would usually offer free stuff. You know, fill out a survey, get get some free stuff. And I remember that one year, the free thing that we offered was a bouncy ball. And guess what? That worked. Uh, Students who ordinarily would walk by and not give us a second glance, they'd see the sign that see free bouncy ball, and they'd run over, and they'd be like, what do I have to do? (laughs) And so we gave away hundreds of bouncy balls, and a lot of surveys were filled out. Now, on those same tables, we also offered other free things that were more meaningful and actually 
more costly. Uh, we had free Bibles. We had free copies of a book called The Case for Faith uh, or The Case for Christ. We had pamphlets on knowing God personally and, and, and that sort of thing. But people almost never took those. Right? We would be lucky if for every hundred bouncy balls we gave away, we gave away one of those books. Now, okay, don't get me wrong. I can appreciate a good bouncy ball. And I don't want to shame anyone who would want a bouncy ball. But isn't there something a little absurd about the fact that so many people get more excited about a little piece of rubber than a Bible, or than a book that tries to make a compelling case that a man really did rise from the dead, or a book that tries to make a compelling case that there really is a God who loves us and cares about us and who has power to transform our lives both now and into eternity. Isn't that funny? It may be absurd, but it's extremely common. And it's common because sloth is common. That sloth on display, it's a lack of care about things that really matter, including, most of all, a lack of care about God and about our spiritual lives. So, that's the first indication. Little to no interest in God. Uh, a second indication is we're bored with spiritual disciplines. Bored with spiritual disciplines. Okay, when we're slothful, prayer is boring. The Bible is boring. Church is boring. Theology is boring. Talking about God is boring. It's all boring, boring, boring. And when we're slothful and we attempt to do any of these activities, it's like this wave of intense tiredness just hits us. And we just feel incapable of caring. All we can do is yawn. Here's a little litmus test I thought of uh, for us to tell if we have this problem. Listen to these words from Psalm 63. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Does that ring true at all? You know, do you hear those words and is there something in your soul that says, yeah, I know that feeling or I've known that feeling, that, that longing for the presence of God, for something more than just the satisfaction of my stomach, my basic appetites, this longing for the holy? Or do you hear those words and you think, meh, not really. If those words don't feel familiar at all to our souls, we might have a problem with sloth. I think for some of us, we might hear those words and we might think, yeah, there was a time where I felt like that, but now not so much. Maybe we've allowed sloth to creep into our lives. Uh, a third indication that we might have a problem with sloth is we overemphasize the virtue of tolerance. Now, I want to be very careful about this one because if I'm taken the wrong way, I could sound like I'm saying something really awful. Uh, which I, I don't intend to. Um, tolerance is a very popular virtue in our culture today. It's the idea that we should respect uh, people who are different from us, or at least that's what it should be. Okay, tolerance is a great virtue if it is properly understood. 
It's the idea that even if somebody disagrees with us, even if somebody is different from us, they still deserve to be respected, they deserve to be treated with dignity, they deserve e equal opportunity under the law. Uh, we, we should believe that, we should advocate for that. But in our culture, the virtue of tolerance has turned into something other than just tolerance, at least uh, in a lot of cases. In our culture, we can be accused of intolerance just for disagreeing with an idea and for taking a stand for it and openly advocating uh, for that idea. For example, many people in our culture would consider it intolerant to argue that uh, Jesus is the only way of salvation, right? But that's not intolerant if we believe it's true and if we present that idea in a respectful and gracious way. What's, what's actually intolerant is to hate people who disagree with that idea. So there's a big difference between hating someone and disagreeing with them. And unfortunately, in the culture we're in right now, that distinction is rarely made. Uh, we, we tend to think of ourselves as being synonymous with the ideas that we hold. And so if you disagree with my idea, then you're hating me. But that's not true. Now, the reason that overemphasis on tolerance is a sign of sloth is because it can be a sign that we don't really care about what's right or true. Uh, we don't want to put in the effort to challenge any of our culture's way of, ways of thinking, and we don't want to be challenged ourselves, so we just end up saying things like, well, I'm okay, you're okay, whatever makes you happy, you do you, I can't judge. And, you know, there are situations where those kinds of phrases are appropriate, but there are also situations where they're not. And if we use them a lot, it might be a sign that we have a problem with sloth, that we just don't really care that much about what's right and true and good. Uh, Romans 12.9 says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. So tolerance, it's a great virtue so long as it means respecting and treating those with dignity who think differently than you. But it's not a virtue if it means being indifferent about evil. It's not a virtue if it means letting go of what's good. If you were here last week, you might remember that I talked about anger, and I talked about how there are situations where anger is an appropriate response. You know, Jesus got angry sometimes. There's a, a healthy place in our lives for moral indignation. You know, we should get upset when we see injustice in our world. We should get upset when we see people being mistreated and abused. And we should feel anger, and that anger should motivate us to work for change. But sloth never wants to work for a change. Sloth never feels motivated. So sloth just tolerates everything and then tries to spin that toleration as a virtue, as a good thing. But it's not. It's just sloth because it's a failure to care about what matters. It's, it's the failure to hate what is evil and to cling to what is good. And then lastly, a fourth indication that we have a problem with sloth is we're lazy and unproductive. We're lazy and unproductive. That's probably what most of us think of when we think of sloth. Uh, when we're slothful, we spend huge amounts of time uh, playing video games, napping, watching TV, Refreshing the Facebook feed over and over and over again. 
And again, I want to be careful here. Don't get me wrong. There is a place in our lives for rest and recreation. And I would go so far as to say, you should have things in your life, your, your life that you do just because they're fun, not for any, any other reason. There's nothing wrong with doing certain things just for the fun of it. There's a place for that. But when sloth is a problem in our lives, leisure becomes our god, right? That's the whole reason that we're alive. It's just for those leisure activities. And, and when that happens, the things that really matter suffer. Our relationships with other people suffer. Our relationships with our friends and our spouses and our kids. And, and our relationship with God suffers because we don't bother to communicate with him. And our world suffers because we're neglecting to do the things that God is calling us to do. You know, if we spend all our time watching TV, when are we ever going to write that book? Uh, when are we going to learn that foreign language? When are we going to visit that lonely neighbor? You know, all those things just become things that, oh, we'll get around to eventually, but we don't. And eventually we find ourselves looking back on missed opportunities and feeling regret because sloth got the better of us. Now, I don't think any of us here need to be convinced that sloth is harmful. Uh, sloth is the apathy that keeps us from living the abundant life that God has for us. Uh, sloth is the apathy that keeps us from being salt and light in the world, in a world that badly needs it. Uh, sloth is um, <clears throat> the apathy that keeps us lukewarm and ineffective for the kingdom of God. So how do we find freedom from this? Uh, that's how we're going to close today. We're going to talk about four different ways that we can find freedom. And I want to acknowledge from the start here that there's no magic bullet for this. Just like last week, when there's no magic bullet for our anger problem, uh, there are things we can do, but this is a hard problem to solve. Like, how do you make somebody care when they don't care? How do you make yourself care when you don't care? It, it reminds me of a story that I heard recently about a woman who was trying to get her son, her nine-year-old son, to pay attention in church. And at the start of the service, she wrote on a piece of paper, I wonder what gift you will receive today, this morning, by listening. And she handed it to him at the start of service. And then at the end of the service, he had written one thing underneath it. And it said, I can't care about it. <laughs> now, I don't mean to be hard on a nine-year-old. He's nine, right? But that is what sloth feels like. It just feels like, oh, I just can't care about it. So there isn't a magic bullet, but I do believe that there are things that we can do if we feel like sloth is, is taking over in our lives. So uh, first, first suggestion, and you might not expect to hear this in a sermon, but I think it's important to say, is consider treatment for depression. Consider treatment for depression. Uh, if we're not careful, we can interpret depression as sloth. But we need to recognize that there's a difference between those two things. Uh, the English writer and poet Dorothy Sayers, she has a quote describing sloth, and this is what she says. Sloth is the sin which believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, loves nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and only remains alive because there's nothing it would die for. And I don't know about you, but I read that and I think, that sounds like mental illness. Uh, when we can't even enjoy anything, that's a sign 
of depression. That's one of the defining features of depression. And depression leads to sloth, but we need to distinguish between just garden variety sloth, right, and sloth that grows out of a real illness. Um, so before you assume that your slothful tendencies are just, you know, the consequence of your, your sinfulness, ask yourself, well, do I find enjoyment in anything? Because if you don't, uh, you might have a real problem with depression. And in that case, you need to seek help from someone who can treat your depression not simply as a spiritual condition, although it's healthy to, to include that in the treatment, but also as a genuine illness. You know, we, we talked... Uh, during the anxiety series about how we live in a fallen world and that means that uh, our brokenness manifests itself in all kinds of ways and you know physically we have all kinds of health problems and the brain is a physical organ and it can be affected um, the, 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 the physical damage in the brain uh, malfunctioning can be manifested as depression or anxiety and so it's important to keep that in mind. So first thing we need to do is just really determine, is my slothfulness rooted in some sort of illness, and, and should I seek treatment for that? Uh, a second thing that we need to do is reject cynicism. Reject cynicism. You know, I think that one of the reasons that we become slothful is just because we get really cynical. Um, we get bored with praying because deep down we think my prayers aren't even going to make a difference. We get bored with reading the Bible because we think, well, I'm not going to learn anything new. I'm not going to get anything worthwhile out of it. We get bored with church because we think God's not going to do anything if I go to church. He's not going to do anything in me, and he's probably not going to do anything to anybody else. Um, we get bored with outreach and evangelism because we think nobody's going to respond to the gospel. Nobody, nobody cares. And cynicism is just food for sloth. Sloth loves, loves cynicism because cynicism just, just says, you know, don't even bother trying. It's better to do nothing than to be disappointed. And so we choose not to care. Now, I understand why some of us get cynical. We get cynical because we've had experiences in the past where we were disappointed. You know, maybe we felt like our prayers weren't answered. Or we felt like we took a step of faith to try something bold, some sort of outreach, and nobody showed up. Or maybe we tried to share the gospel, and we just felt like we got rejected. But even if we've been disappointed, Scripture exhorts us not to grow cynical. Don't get cynical. Galatians 6.9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Let us not become weary in doing good. You know, if we're not careful, we can fall into this trap of thinking that cynicism is a mark of maturity. I'm cynical because I've seen stuff. I've been disappointed. I know what it's like. You know, I don't have that youthful enthusiasm anymore. That was squashed. That's what, maturity's, that's what maturity looks like. But the, the real mark of maturity isn't cynicism. The real mark of maturity is perseverance, persevering in hope and faith even after you've been disappointed. And I bet some of us here feel weary of doing good, weary of prayer, weary of the Bible, weary of church. But scripture tells us when you feel that way, 
press on. Don't get cynical and slothful. Keep at it. And notice the reason why. I love this. Because at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. You know, one of the reasons that we get cynical is because we expect to reap a harvest before the proper time. I'm going to say that again because I think it's, it's important. One of the reasons we get cynical is because we expect to reap a harvest before the proper time. But this, rever- this verse reminds us that it can take a while before the proper time comes because that's how a harvest works, right? You plant in the spring and then you harvest in the fall. Now, if you expected to plant in the spring and harvest in the spring or harvest in the summer, then you would always be disappointed, right? And then you, you would get cynical. You'd be like, oh, well, seeds never turn into food. Don't bother planting them. It's not going to work, right? But that would be the wrong attitude because you just have to be patient. You just need to keep planting, keep doing your job, and trust that when the time is right, the harvest will come. And that's the same attitude that we're supposed to have when we feel unmotivated to do the things that God is calling us to do. Be patient, keep going. At the proper time, the harvest will come. And that leads me to the third thing that we need to do, is to remember that the things we do for God really do matter. First Corinthians 15:58 says, "Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain." Do we realize that our labor for the Lord is not in vain? Even when it doesn't yield the results that we are hoping for or expecting, it's never pointless. God sees our effort, he remembers it, and he assures us that it will yield results. And, you know, we might not see those results until we're in heaven. And some of those results might just be things that happen inside of us, in our character. But whatever the case, we are sowing seeds that will eventually yield a harvest. So what does the work of the Lord look like, right? This says that the work of the Lord is not in vain. What, what is the work of the Lord? Well, I think we can get an idea of that by looking at the passage that we looked at earlier in more detail, Romans 12, uh, starting in verse 9. I'm going to read through this and just think about, okay, this is what the work of the Lord looks like. This is the work that is never in vain. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. So the work that we do when we take time to pray and read scripture, that's never in vain. The work that we do when we open our homes 
and we, we take that risk of being hospitable with people, that's never in vain. The work that we do to encourage harmony and peace in our communities and in our churches, that's never in vain. The work that we do to get up earlier than we might want to to corral the kids and get everybody to church on time, or even late, uh, that's not in vain. Everything that we do to please the Holy Spirit is work that's not in vain. God sees it, he remembers it, and he assures us it's worthwhile. And finally, uh, one last thing that we can do to find freedom from sloth is take a risk. Take a risk. You know, I think one of the reasons that we become slothful is because we're afraid to risk anything. And so we play it very safe, but you know what happens when we play it safe, right? We get bored. Uh, most of us know the story about Peter and Jesus walking on the water, right? Uh, Peter's in the boat, he sees Jesus walking on the water, and Jesus says, come, and Peter actually gets out of the boat, he walks on the water, it's this incredible moment, amazing. Uh, that's what faith is supposed to be look. That's what faith is supposed to look like, right? Jesus beckons us. He calls us towards him, and we we step out. We take a risk, and then we do remarkable things as we follow his lead. That's that's faith. But unfortunately, for some of us, many of us, I think, including myself at times, uh, our own story of Jesus calling us to walk on water plays out a little differently than Peter's story. Uh, Jesus says, come, and we look out and we go, well, that looks risky. And so we, say, we stay in the boat. And we just sit there, and it bobs up and down for a while. And then we look over at Jesus and we go, you're boring. I'm bored. But of course, Jesus isn't boring, right? We're just not willing to exercise our faith and get out of the boat. One of the best ways to get out of a pattern of sloth is just to get out of the boat, right? Step out on the water, even if it feels scary. Now, what does stepping out on the water look like? Because I'm not actually talking about literally walking on the water. I mean, maybe Jesus would call you to do that, but what does it look like in our own lives? It looks like inviting a friend to church and risking that re rejection. Uh, it, it looks like offering to pray for somebody who's sick even though you're worried that maybe they're not going to be healed, right? Uh, it could look like starting that nonprofit that you've been daydreaming about for years. It could look like writing that book that you've had on your mind for a long time. It could look like going back to school because you know that God wants you to be in a different career even though you're risking your, your income. It could look like getting involved in a ministry that completely takes you out of your comfort zone. It could look like going to a small group, even though you're introverted and, you know, like to keep your distance from people. Uh, it could look like finally having a hard conversation with someone where you have to practice confession or forgiveness. When we start to, to get out of the boat, when we're actually willing to risk failure or risk our pride or our income or our comfort, then our sloth disappears. Now we care because we have a reason to care, right? Because we're invested. So let's get out of the boat. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, it can be really hard for us to stay motivated. We're told that we're supposed to keep our spiritual fervor, but so often our fire dies down and we get lazy, we, uh, we don't want to take a risk, we, we don't want to be disappointed. But Lord, I pray for any of us who are feeling slothful today, God, I just pray that you would light that fire again in us. Lord, I pray that we would long for your presence, that we would realize that your love is better than life. I pray, Lord, that we would believe that it really is true what you say, that nothing is impossible with you. I pray for that, uh, that, that childlike faith that, that expects great things, Lord, even if we've been disappointed. Lord, give us um, the courage to step out of the boat and to walk on the waves wherever it is you might be leading us. In Jesus' name, amen.